I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. Here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast with Dave and Matt. Matt, how are you doing in week two of quarantine, in the end of days? Well, the new America. Um, whoa, that's a lot. It's, well, we're not we're not under quarantine. We're just uh, what do you call it? So reducing our uh, social contact, social you know, distancing. distancing, recommended isolation. Yeah, we're we're doing good. We've got some supplies, and we're here at the house. We got things to do. Uh, I've got the new Doom game, Doom Eternal, nice. and okay. God, it's with the Rock. No, Rock's not in it. But like no. we talked, I talked about that to you. Uh, it's really good. It's really good. I'm having a lot of fun playing it. A lot to do. Okay. I get you got to be right. fast this time. They made it a lot harder, man. I, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. phew, demons are kicking my ass. But uh, I, I don't know. Did I tell you about like some of the cool like the Doom guy has his own lair now, and yeah, and like you get to see how he lives, dude. And it's like pizza boxes and comic books, a couple of guitars. Yeah. So He's got, like that's most great. Of, yeah, like so most of America right now. Yeah, totally. He's he's totally one of us. He loves and and he likes killing demons, and so do I. He plays guitar, and so do I. He's yeah. comic books, you know. <laughs> right on. Yeah. He's got cool stretchy kick pants. I don't know about that. He's got a praetor suit, is what it's called. It's armor. It's that gets um, health and ammo from killing demons. So it's like the more demons you kill, the more cool stuff you have. Well, he needs he needs kicky pants if he's gonna be kicking those demons at a fast rate. Kicking pants. All right. I'll, uh, I'll let people I'll see yeah sure man <laughs> that's not working with me man no, send that, that, that suggestion to id software yeah, yeah. <laughs> to id software right yeah we'll let the guys know well for those who are wondering who this sexy third voice is joining us on this isolation <laughs> Sunday uh, I'd like to introduce you know on the podcast we like to from time to time shine a spotlight on different artists uh, filmmakers uh, whatever musicians doesn't matter anyone who is doing something unique and independent in the art world we like to shine a spotlight on and our guest today is someone whom i'm especially proud to introduce this is someone who started with me back in the day we met uh over 10 years ago now Mm -hmm. um we cut our teeth in the film industry in austin texas i've seen him grow he has seen me grow in our respective fields and um, he is a director in his own right. He is a colorist. He's a digital imaging technician. He is Mr. Justin Warren. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you, Dave. Excited to be here. So uh, we are following CDC guidelines. There are less than three of us in this household. We bathed in sanitizer before uh, getting on the podcast. Yeah, I didn't know that was going to happen, Dave. You just kind of slathered me. Yeah, well... <laughs> There's, I wouldn't say it was totally consensual, but you didn't object, so I just carried on. It was like verbal a, cues. Like a bucket of hand sanitizer above the door when Justin walked in, it just sort of spilled on top of him. Was it one of those? Yeah, it's kind of like a tar and feathering, but with just yeah. hand sanitizer, <laughs> like a home alone gag. It's like, yeah, I did my best. On come on in, guy. Justin. Happens. Yeah. So that's Justin, what I... uh, man, man, you and I, I mean, we started just so, to give the audience some backstory, like. I was telling this. I was telling this to Mr. Sophia how we met. We worked on a film called Beatdown. Beatdown, which was actually the same film that I met uh, frequent guest Jude on. Mm-hmm. And um, if you recall, the DP, the director of photography, 
of that movie. Who was not the nicest person. He was a prick. Yes. He was a total jerk. Okay, good. And, and his style <laughs> of lighting. I did not like this man. Yeah, his style of lighting was to, to get all the lights out of the truck, throw them everywhere, turn them all on, and then tell you to turn them off. Is that about I, right? I remember this very well, yes. Uh, I remember uh, doing it to the point of exhaustion of damn near killing ourselves out there on those 18-hour days yeah, in no, January. Yeah, well, it was December. It was December? Yeah, oh, it was okay. right before Christmas. So it was really um, cold. It was very cold, <laughs> and we shot a whole action movie in 11 days. And um, I think it was a night that Danny Trejo was shooting, so it was an especially long day because we only had Danny Trejo for one day, so you had to get all his scenes sprinkled through the entire movie shot out in a night. Mm-hmm. So I walked outside, me being a young production assistant who doesn't know shit about shit, and I see these lighting guys, and they're just beat. They just look like defeated and exhausted. They look beat down. And we were. The, they were beat down. That was <laughs> that was an accurate title for the movie. This was during a time in my life where I was working on movies that really, like every single title had uh, a meaning deeper, about yeah. some some terrible thing I was going through. I did a movie called Circle of Pain. Yeah. I did Beat Down. I did Sodom. Ooh, I did a movie. We don't want to talk about what happened on that movie. <laughs> and then I did a movie called God Thinks You're a Loser. Yeah, all accurate. <laughs> so so I, I walk up to this young lighting person and we're just chatting a little bit. And I said, "Dude, do you just do you need a hug or something?" He's like, "Yeah, man, I, I would like a hug." And that started the friendship between Justin and I. I remember this. Yeah. And we went on to do uh, a short called Blackout, which yeah. was really fun. Which, um, if we can segue into that a bit, absolutely. We both realized that we both had a mutual love of, of horror films and films just in general, and and uh, I introduced him to one of my best friends, Jason Matthews, who uh, was a uh, at the time he was a locations manager and aspiring screenwriter, and now he's a script supervisor, and he's doing actually rather well in Austin and DFW at that. Um, but uh, uh, he had written a script for a movie that he and I were trying to get off the ground that uh, Andrew uh, was interested in helping out. And the film was called Violet. It was a rural Texas uh, motel-based thriller, kind of like a Western giallo, I like to call it. Nice. And um, we decided that we wanted to make a short film uh, sizzler to entice people uh, about it, but we didn't want to spoil the twist ending in the movie, so we decided to make a prequel. Nor do we have any money or resources. None. But we ended up pulling off something pretty special. Yeah, it's really cool. We'll put the link up on our Instagram. Matt, you, you remember those times. Yeah, we were I remember when you guys right? uh, finished uh, that, that film, uh, a short film. Um, it's, uh, it's cool. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's short, it's like eight minutes long, but, uh, it's, um, it's got the, the little, little horror movie twist in it, you know, that everybody loves, yeah, you yeah. know, it's got that, it's got that little part where you're going, Hey, wait a minute. Uh, and, that, and that's hard to do when you're doing that short of a film, uh, to actually get some little psychological twist. Uh, you know, it, it it's tough to fit it in there. And I thought you guys pulled it off pretty well. Well, thank you. And, thank and, you, you know, very much. I, I think that one of the things that I always like to impart through this podcast is the sense of like what what is independent filmmaking, right? And um, a lot of people have questions like how do how does how do you do this and how do you do that? And anyone can do anything with money, yeah. money and time. If you have that, you need no skill, practically. We had it none of those true. things. So we shot in the same uh, uh, high school that Tree of Life shot in. This is how we pulled this off. So we, uh, a developer in this, do you remember the town? I don't remember. Smithville. Smithville, yeah. So there was a developer in Smithville who uh, was the property manager of this high school that was, you know, d- you know, 
basically run down and derelict and just grimy, except for the one room that Tree of Life had like renovated, right? Yeah. And so it uh, turns out that he was kind of not liked within the town. So we told him we would do a documentary about the school so that he could use that to try to sell the property, even though it was a historical land uh, land site. Landmark. Landmark, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then we just didn't do it. We, we never we did. And then we just shot never free. <laughs> you deceived we, this we, man. You you lied we, well, to this. Well, you know what? We, we did do like a day of filming of it. We did. Yeah. No, we we attempted it. And then we, we, realized we tried. Was, we realized was, that we didn't have anything on our hands. Well, and he, we value. realized he was a bad guy. Yeah. Mostly what it was. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Is when we went to go. Um, I remember that every single person that we interviewed in the entire town was like, "Oh, you're doing a documentary for this guy? Well, he's a piece of shit." Yeah. And, <laughs> So morally, we felt like it was it was our duty to for the town, whom we actually did really appreciate, yeah, uh, to to just uh, you know stiff this guy. So I, yeah. I want to know, know more about this piece of shit guy. I want to see the documentary about him, man. It sounds like everybody in town's <laughs> yeah. got a story about him. I mean, what, yeah, what's he done? Some, what's he was just deal? basically trying to buy the whole town. And, yeah, it's probably know. some big shot, you know, out of towner, probably come in from like Dallas or Houston or something, trying to do this. <laughs> sleepy little town outside of Austin and, and scoop it all up and resell it to the people. You yeah. Know, that capitalism at its finest. Well, so we... Good. Uh, we, you're so good you for you get, ripping him off. That's right. That's, yeah. Give that's a taste right. of his own like medicine. Rob, like Robin Hood and Little John. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, the, um, the craziest memory I have of filming that short film, though, was uh, we were there for three days and three nights, and on the last night, we left one of the windows open. And, oh, that's right. People got in. Yeah. See, this, this, school, this school had a, a reputation in the town amongst all the kids for being haunted. And uh, we were filming in the basement where kids actually once got locked up and everything. And if you notice, there were kids' names etched into the yeah, wall. Yeah, it was like where they were, were set for punishment or whatever. Yeah. And um, so anyways, when we left this window open, one of the grips who uh, or one of the electricians who didn't get one of the uh, stingers out of the windows, um, they snuck in in the middle of the night and they found a trail of blood that we left. And they found it going all the way around the school, upstairs and downstairs and going yeah, all the way. because we were coming back to film, so there was no point in cleaning up yet. Yeah, we left everything there. I even yeah. left um, – we had – uh, barber's razors, uh, straight razors, straight like razors Sweeney yeah. Todd style. And uh, we had one that was uh, safe and uh, a stunt prop. And then we had one that was absolutely real and absolutely sharp. And the one that we left, of course, on the ground was the real sharp one. Oh, of course, wow. the close-up. <laughs> and uh, so I was uh, at home. I was I was in Austin. I wasn't at Smithville the next day. I don't think any of us were. No. We all went back. Uh, I was with my wife. Who was my girlfriend at the time? No, we were married. No, you were yeah, yeah, you were we married, were married. Yeah, we were married at that point. And um, I got a call from Smithville Police Department asking if I could verify that what they were looking at was not indeed a homicide. <laughs> it was pretty gory. It was pretty gory. <laughs> it was very gory. We were. It was. You know, for that project was super ambitious. Not only did we not have any time or money. I mean, this was really like. We always talk about this show being sort of a community-based show, and then the hope is that people will listen and they'll feel like a part of it, and they'll feel like they'll get some insight from people who are in the thick of like living the art life, so to speak. But like, um, you know, we everyone volunteered their time, you know, and their skill and their effort, right? Um, was I dating? I think it was my girlfriend. Or maybe I think you my, were. Yeah, yeah, my girlfriend or ex-girlfriend. I don't know. I don't remember if we were dating at the time. 
like her and her mom made like lunch for us. Uh, yeah. Like on site, they made like sloppy joes because that's all we could afford. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was like everyone, everyone just pitched in and did multiple jobs. And um, she did more than that. I mean, you know, she was she was wardrobe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone like I was yeah. saying, like everyone wore like whatever needed to happen, happened. Like Justin and I. Um, we went back and we spent a whole day cleaning that place with mops and water because there was blood everywhere. I mean, we shut down the walls. It was all on the floors, like a trail of it. It's it was everywhere. Gruesome. We had, I filmed myself cleaning it in uh, high speed so we could uh, play it back like at 400% original, uh, speed so it was really fast. And it was like I did a little recreation of the kids of what they must have seen it was like and everything. Yeah. <laughs> our, our AD was a corpse. Uh, background player, oh, yeah, yeah. Shows a yep. corpse. Um, well, uh, I ended up getting to have uh, later on, a couple years later, I put you into the movie. Yeah, we did in the, uh, the after credit scene. Yeah. So we had done, um, we had done a uh, um, some location scouting. We found like the one basement in Austin, which yeah, is probably where like the Zodiac killer lives, and um, and we shot just some test footage, just to, just to test it, just to see what it would look like. And then Justin cut it into sort of an after credit scene. It looks good. It so looks like how the killer got out of the school. It looked like that was like you know, yeah. him leaving. Yeah. So uh, lots of fun went into that. And, and that was just sort of – that wasn't your first directorial debut though. You had done another short uh, I did a, a couple, couple years prior then. with yeah. uh, Zom Babies. Mm-hmm. That was um, the thing that kind of helped put me on the map in Austin uh, when I was there. Um Zombabies got a lot of attention. It won uh, the Dismember the Alamo Film Festival in Austin. And, uh, um, I mean, you know, because we just went for the most um, no-holds-barred offensive subject matter we could think of. And what is that? It's, well, it's killing babies. (laughs) And um, And reanimating them. Yeah, and reanimating them. So, you know, Do the babies um, then go kill other people as zombies? Yeah. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what really happens in the, you know, it takes place in a baby nursery during the outbreak of the zombie apocalypse. And um, there's an airborne virus, uh, not unlike COVID. (laughs) And, um the babies get it and uh, turn into zombies and they attack the pot-smoking babysitter who shirks her duties. And uh, she... As uh, all good killers do. As all good killers do. And so she's left with no choice but to, you know, sever sever or destroy the head. They were the most adorable zombies that you've ever seen. But we actually had real babies. She's a neglectful babysitter and she's responsible for the babies dying and then turning into zombies, but then she's also the protagonist that kills the babies? Is that what... That's exactly right. That's right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's a hell of a story, Justin. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Um, You know, it's funny because... Out of out of uh, blackout, we had um, obviously. I think I'd like to believe that you and I have both had really good careers. And Jason, who wrote it, is having a really great career. A lot of people who worked on it. A little known fact: we we talk about how much we love Shutter all the time. One of our PAs was actually one of the two people who started up the whole Shutter uh, website. Like, I, uh, I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, Zach Parker, who was a roommate of mine, who was a PA of ours. Oh, my gosh. He was – he moved to L.A., and he, along with Owen, were, like, the first two guys to set up Shutter at AMC. Wow. I remember early That's on, awesome. they were just trying to figure out, like, what the what the streaming site was going to be. This is why you always have to be nice to your PAs. That's right. That's right. He, he later went on to go work for Fangoria up in Dallas, and I think he's doing some stuff with Major League Baseball now. But, uh, yeah, you never know. You never know who – you're working with and what their career path will take wow. them. Wow. 
How cool is that? But you, you guys, do y'all, do y'all uh, check out Shutter, like Sh- Shutter TV? I just, I gotta talk just, yeah. just a moment, just to say, like, what a cool concept it is. Like, you remember, like, when you're a kid, you turn it to HBO and just some random movie you play and you watch it. Shutter still has that. Yeah, it does. that's it the totally coolest does. thing. Shutter like, is I, great, like, Dave. I was telling, I watched that Satanic Panic movie last night. I never even heard of that yeah. before. You didn't like it. I, I, a lot of my buddies worked on it though. Wait, have you seen it, Justin? <sighs> I haven't seen it yet. It's, it's, but, it um, set me down. It <laughs> set me down. I appreciated the effort. I appreciated a lot of what went I'm, into it. I'm still going to check it out. Check. It's worth checking out. You know out. why Dave doesn't like it. You know what his problem with it is with it, don't you? Uh, no. It's, well, I'll tell you. It's because they made Satan look like the bad. It's right. Because you're no, a Satanist and you're not. like, hey, man, we're not a bunch of weirdos that sacrifice people. Uh, it's it's prejudice, and you are no, you won't no. stand for it. <laughs> no. Uh, however, Jude and I were supposed to be extras on it, and they never called us back. Oh. You weren't satanic I, enough. I thought it would have been, I thought it would, apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm actually glad for because there are spoilers. Uh, some of those background had to get pretty in the buff. And uh, I don't know if Mr. Sophia would have been okay with me sharing the goods all over. Oh, they wanted uh, they wanted the you for that site. scene. I don't think you would have done it, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, because well, apparently to like to summon the devil, you got to get really naked and touchy feely with everyone around you. So I uh, mean, yes. <laughs> where, do, where do I sign up? Have have we have none of us seen the ninth gate? <laughs> Which I, I guess that means the, de- the <laughs> devil well ain't going to be coming for a while because uh, he's not going to be coming to no. Earth for a while because uh, yeah, people no, no you can't social distance and orgy at the same time. Wait now, now if you can have less than ten people or ten people or less, is that cons- that's still considered an orgy, though, right? It's not enough to get the devil to show up, though. I mean, you might oh, get yeah. like, you need like, like a little like bat like baby, or yeah, like some kind like of a succubus, weird little... maybe. What's that? Like like Azrael from a, um, a dogma, maybe might show up, but that's the best you can get. Yeah, something like that. Just some like you get like a reject demon, <laughs> just some annoying demon from an indie movie that's just like. Yeah, Jason right. Lee being all cocky, and you're like, "Oh man, you know, you this get, is not as cool get, as I thought it'd be." You get Jerry O'Connell with a soul patch as a demon. That's what you get. That's he's. <laughs> yep. You're talking about the reference to Satanic Panic. I couldn't believe Jerry yeah, O'Connell was in there. I hadn't seen that guy in years. Yeah, and his wife uh, Re- Rebecca Romaine O'Connell. I guess she's, you know, oh, she's, oh, no longer, oh, yeah. she's no longer Stamos. <laughs> yeah, what if she just held on to that? <laughs> what if she was just like was married to Jerry O'Connell, but now she's Rebecca Romaine Stamos O'Connell? <laughs> just collects just like kid. like Pokemon. Just collects last names. I would catch them all. I would just keep the Stamos. That is that. There's yeah, some weight in that cool. name. That guy. He yeah. Hey. He's got, he gets things done. Yeah. Hey. All right. Maybe we should talk with Justin again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's funny, Justin. You 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 know, Zombabies uh, won December the Alamo mm-hmm. the year that one year, and, and then the following year I won, won Audience Choice Award for my uh, absence. Makes the dead live longer short. Which he in turn then let me remaster. Which I did, which made it way better. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, part of that is because you have a VFX background. I do, yeah. And you went on to work on some pretty cool films through Troublemaker Studios in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that Zombabies ended up winning the, uh, me that award uh, at Dismember the Alamo. And I was just waiting tables at a Papado's at the time. Um, but unbeknownst to me... Uh, the drummer of the band that was doing music for Zombabies 
who was a waiter at Papado's, his best friend was Robert Rodriguez, post-production supervisor at Troublemaker Studios, and he had been watching everything I had been making since the beginning. And That's super cool. It was super cool and super lucky. And uh, one day I was working on a follow-up to Zombabies called Hazmat J. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. That yeah. was great too. Yeah. <laughs> that one was That one was longer and more epic. By far, yeah. I worked on that one for a couple of years, um, even when I was still at Troublemaker. But I was, so I was working on that, and I got a call one day from uh, this guy named Jabbar. And he was like, hey, uh, you don't know me, but um, I'm, I work for Robert Rodriguez, and I'm interested in getting you a job interview. If you can get me a demo reel by Sunday night, I can get you a job interview on Monday. And I didn't have a demo reel of any kind. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I'll get that to you. But I was waiting tables at Papado's, and I was scheduled to work that night and a double the next day. And that would have been the end of the weekend. But um, I went up there, and uh, I hauled ass up to work three hours early and offered the only $100 that I have had in my name and uh, to somebody who could cover my shift. And... Um, of course, somebody took it and offered to cover me, but my floor manager was this burnt out, jaded, failed filmmaker herself who was like, no, Justin, I'm not going to change my floor map for you right now. That person's not as good as you are. You have to get your shifts covered 24 hours in advance. You're going to have to be here in two and a half hours. I'll see you then. And I was like, no, you don't understand. This is the most important thing that's ever happened to me. And, right. And uh, the general manager uh, shouted my name from across the parking lot as I was getting ready to get back into my car. And um, he pulls out five 20s out of his own wallet. And he says, that $100, use it to buy yourself an interview outfit, man. Go cut that demo reel. Nice. And I ended up getting the job. And um, uh, it changed my life. I haven't waited tables a day since. And, was... and what are some of the Troublemaker films that you worked on? Uh, when I was there, I worked on um, this kid's movie called Shorts, which was probably his least no, no, well-known movie that he's ever done. But it was kind of like Pulp Fiction for kids. And it was it was kind of uh, – was this before the um, – what were the family movies that he made? Spy, Spy kids? kids. Was this before Spy Kids? This is no, after it, it was before after Spy Shark, Kids. Shark... It was after Shark Boy and Lava Girl also. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but uh, this was right after Grindhouse. And so, you know, his very public affair uh, with Rose McGowan during, right, during yeah. Grindhouse was um, something that had really torn the people in that building apart. And so nobody wanted to be there anymore but me. I was just like, this is the coolest place I've ever seen. Oh, my God, look. <laughs> that's the that's the thing. That's why they wanted to bring in fresh yeah. blood. I was like, that's the thing from, you know, from Dust Till Dawn. You know, that's, oh, my God, look, that's from Spy Kids. This is from Sin City. Holy shit, you guys. <laughs> and they're like, we like this guy. Let's keep him around. So they kept me around. <laughs> and and um, I, I, was, I was elated and jazzed to be there. So I helped with the development of Machete and a couple other projects that that didn't get off the ground like Nerve Racker, which would have been like his Blade it was Runner. Super cool! I remember the concept of that. Yeah, it looked really cool. And actually, um, they let me uh, use. Well, there were these post-apocalyptic buildings that were sculptures that they did for Planet Terror that they ended up um, using as uh, as VFX concept pieces for Nerve Racker to show a con- apocalyptic an apocalyptic city and. Um, well, they ended up letting me do a photo shoot with those to use them in Hazmat J. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, those guys helped me finish that short film. That's super cool. That's yeah. super cool. And um, I ended up uh, becoming really good friends with a lot of those guys. The guy who does his posters, the guy who designed the posters for 
Sin City and and Planet Terror and Alita Battle Angel and all that. He's a he's a ordained minister, so he performed our wedding. That's awesome. That's very <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I ended up working on that, and then um, several years later, I got to come back once I was a DIT, and I worked on the From Dusk Till Dawn TV series. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, I did the first season. So now, so so some people may not know what a dit is like what what is a dit and what is how does that relate to like current filmmaking versus maybe that similar position in the past okay um well a dit is a relatively new position it's the digital imaging technician and what we are is we're basically um the cinematographer's right hand man right next to the gaffer and the key grip and uh we help create the look of the show uh, by doing live color correction and color manipulation, not just correction, but like really the creative push that gives it the guts that it has that makes it look like what it does. So, you know, if I was DITing the Matrix, I'd be the one making it look all green. Or if I was doing um, 300, I'd be making the one I'd be the one making it look all bronze and coppery. Yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but you know, when we shoot in raw on a film or a series. Um, if you saw that raw footage, it kind of looks, especially modern, especially current days, because there is such a reliance on digital. I, I don't know if this is an accurate statement from your perspective, but it feels like there's less of a need to capture it in camera because there is so much that can be done after the fact that a lot of times if you looked at that raw footage, it would just look, it would look like one of those flat sort of British soap operas that you used to see that were just sort of just the, there's no real color. It just it just it yeah. It's looks very like video flat, camera. Very almost cloudy and desaturated. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's uh, technically that's called log footage, um, and uh, it's it's my job to make it look something like from that to something much more aesthetically pleasing. And and now at this point, um, it's uh, I, I work not only as a DIT but as a final colorist and. Um, being a DIT that works as a final colorist, it's like your way of auditioning to get the job as the final colorist in the movie, which is pretty cool. And I've now gotten right. to do that about six times. Nice. Have you seen uh, – I'm segueing slightly, but um, have you seen the difference between uh, Blade Runner, the director's cut, versus Blade Runner, the final cut? Yeah, it's huge. There's a completely different color scheme. Yeah, it's totally I never even because I've only ever seen the final. I had initially seen the final cut, at least that I can remember. Maybe I saw. I think the final cut's a lot more vibrant. Very much so, but if you yeah. if you look at the director's cut, um, which is different, vastly different than the theatrical cut, um, the director's cut is all green. Yeah, it is. It totally it's got is. all the green hues versus if you look at the final cut, it's all blues. Yeah, and color is something that's very psychological and very subconscious to people. Like you know, you're you're seeing it when you don't even realize you're seeing it. And you know, movies that get remastered or changed can really affect a movie's quality. Like I will not watch the new version of Halloween. I'm not talking about the David Gordon Green film. I'm talking about or Rob Zombie. I'm talking about just the old John Carpenter 1978 film. Like if you look at the new Blu-rays that are getting put out. Dean Cundy, the the director of photography, supervised a new cut, co- uh, new coloring of it. But he totally sucked out all of the warmth of that movie. It has really. I mean, what do you? Th- what color do you think when you think autumn? Yeah, uh, green, oranges, and maybe like a burnt, like a burnt mossy color. Or... Yeah, yeah. You think you think you think oranges. You think you think browns. You think you know warm tones. You know you think like changing colors of leaves. Absolutely, and and they totally made that movie black, white, and green. Really, that's Ooh. odd. Yeah, I can't watch it. I can't watch it. 
But Matt, you as a photographer, like you know how important it is to sort of capture color and tone and warmth and and how much that completely dictates the difference in the perception of the photo. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're always working against lights and white balance and uh, trying to get things to look the the correct color balance. Uh, it can really mess stuff up. I, I think I think I know what you guys are talking about, like with digital, uh, where everything's in raw <laughs> because everything's just kind of you're gonna record it kind of flat because you don't want to like you don't want to record the uh, the original raw footage with all that post effects on it because then right. you can't change it afterwards. That's exactly right. Now, what I want to know, though, is pre-digital, back in the day, I mean, you've got, you're shooting film, and then I guess they have their, like, VHS monitor that they're checking on the side to see how stuff, you know, looks. Mm -hmm. Uh, So -hmm. would your job in those days just be to sort of, like, hold a big colored plastic sheet in front of that screen uh, to give the director an idea of what it's going to look like? Are you swapping out different... Well, uh, DITs didn't exist during that time. I mean, you know, I've been a DIT for about 11 years now, and that's... You know about tw- about the length of time about the length of time yeah. that we've been around. Yeah, no, um, uh, I, I was... the the red camera back in the you know early two thousands was when that debuted was when the job position really existed. I mean, you know, they had um, loaders, they had loaders, and they had um, you know dailies colorists that would you know be in the lab processing the film and coloring that and you know and adjusting the color with printer lights and things like that. Um, and that's that's probably the closest thing that you have to a DIT, but then they were able to bring that on set. And, um, one, and one of the big, the big advantages and maybe, I mean, like every, like every sort of technological advance, I think there's pros and cons to it. Right. So it, back in ye olden days, you had to capture as much of it on camera as possible because there was just less resources available to you later on. Obviously you could still do coloring. We talked about Blade Runner, but um, the, the ability to move, at the speed in which people can move now was dampened because you had to really make sure that you captured it in film because there was a lot less guarantee on what you could do after the fact, you know, uh, something as simple as sky replacement now. I think that that is largely true. I think that when digital film first kicked off in the early 2000s, like, you know, 2005, when the RED camera came out, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't have what you would call the dynamic range of a film camera. And so it, you actually had less options at the beginning of, at the dawn of digital cinema, uh, filmmaking, which is why DITs were really important because they had to monitor the exposure live on set and be like, no, 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 you're not safe. You need to be right here instead. And, um, you know, that was our most important responsibility um, in addition just to coloring something and making it look like it looks pretty. But, you know, you have to make sure that it's getting exposed right. But um, nowadays, uh, digital filmmaking, the dynamic range of these cameras like the red helium and everything have exceeded what you could get on 35 millimeter film. And um, so, yeah, the, the possibilities are almost limitless now. And you took this, you know, this, your your background in coloring and in VFX and you know just generally story storytelling, and you did. A, it's funny because last night uh, I went down a rabbit hole of old '90s music videos. Yeah. And I sort of lamented how that's sort of a lost art. You sort right? sort of you know, lamented. Totally. You put a Facebook post out that said there hasn't been anything good since 1999. <laughs> Yeah. That's, I stand by that. No, I didn't say that. No, I didn't say there's been nothing. Oh yeah, good. No, that's been right. Lots of great stuff. We've been in decline. Been lots of great since stuff. I just saw the worst 
has been on, and yeah, the world has been yeah. in decline since 1999. Just, just, just coincidence that we've been in decline since your, uh, since your teen years when you were in your like absolute yeah. prime. Just, just a coincidence that. Uh, yep, it's all <laughs> terrible since then. But um, you know, I lament the the lost art of of music videos because you could. It was I another medium in which you could tell a story in a short bite. And you had way more creative freedom in some instances because you weren't bound by like you're basically making a, a commercial for a record, right? Yeah, so there's a lot of money behind videos. it and you could be really creative. And you did a really cool music video, Thank albeit you. after the dawn of music videos. And you had this <laughs> again, indie way of doing it. You had to sort of scrap together. I think you did a Kickstarter, right? I did a Kickstarter, but um this one had a lot more money behind it than um than what the Kickstarter gave it or what Blackout had. Of course. Uh, I, 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 I saved up uh, about $20,000 of my own money and I put it mm-hmm. into it um, from what I was making when I was working on NBC's Revolution Season 2 as the DIT. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really wanted to, you know, Blackout at that point, it was already about five years old. Right. Wow, yeah. And um, I wanted something that could show, you know, that I knew how to make something really technically impressive with, like, you know, people getting set on fire and right. and all kinds of, like, you know, special effects and visual effects and everything. And so we made a uh, – I made a, a music video for the local band Lucid Dementia, which is a Austin-based uh, gothic industrial rock band. And uh, I had one of the lead actors of the Phantasm series play a part in it as well, Michael Baldwin, who's also an Austinite, and he's one of my best friends. I was just talking to him earlier today, actually. Nice, nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, we filmed it at uh, a uh, abandoned uh, plantation home in – what town was that? I don't even remember. But I was a part of this one. Oh, yeah, you weren't. You yeah, were already gone. I was gone. already in, in Los Angeles You were already in then. Los Angeles yeah. at this point. Um. But uh, one of the places – it was one of the locations that we worked at on David Gordon Green's film Joe with Nicolas Cage. Um, and I reached out to the locations manager of that uh, show and was able to get that location. And, Super cool. Yeah, and it was it was perfect for the place. So we filmed this like it, – it's, it's split into two different time periods, one of the early probably – 18, 1900s um, of a man trying to conjure his dead wife back from the dead, only she comes back as a demon. As one does. Yeah. As one tends to do. And um, and then the band comes in in modern day as paranormal investigators and they get offed one by one by said demon. It's a pretty sweet cool. video too because it's just this like legit chain of like horror kills, like like real kills, like real scenes from horror films. You know, it's... It's fun, and, and, and I kind of like that, too. Uh, I think most music videos would be more successful if they ended with every bandmate getting killed in some one way or another. <laughs> I think that's a concept more bands should take up. I think it would help, especially in this day and age, for, for guys like me and Dave who just don't really relate to modern music. A, a lot of the modern music, Dave, can you, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. you know, it might be, you know, we it might actually be a little have... more helpful when you're watching like a Justin Bieber or like a Jessica Simpson video <laughs> to see them, see them get killed, you know, great. it'll make you a little, right. a little more easy little... to take the music. Well, well, not only that, but, but like it introduced you to a lot of music that you might not have listened to. Like I, as someone rapidly approaching 40, I don't really understand mumble rap. Right. Um, oh, yeah. I've heard a bit of it. There's a, there's a band called like. Oh, fuck, I don't even remember the name. I'd have to look it up. It's like Wiccan Phrase Springs Eternal or something that's kind of cool yeah, that I right. like. Um, but like, um, and so, so sometimes I'll put one song on. They, they did a wrestler's entrance music. 
and that was my segue into them. And I listened to some of their other stuff, and it, it wouldn't normally be my cup of tea, but that was sort of the gateway in, right? But, like, imagine if there was some sick music video that you were like, what is this craziness? Like, yeah. Like, we talked about Apex Twins last last week. Oh, yeah, and seriously. Like, those videos were just off the charts, man. Like, there's a lot of music that you might not give a chance to now that you would if there was this cool, at least engaging visual aspect to it that, you know, maybe drew you in and then made you give something a chance, you know? I wish there was a place, a platform that isn't just uh... – What's it called? YouTube um, or Vimeo or Vimeo, Vivo? Yeah, or Vivo. I wish I, I, those are those aren't <laughs> those are those are huge, but they're not successful enough. Of a you know, we need we need another network. We need you know. How cool would it be if Shutter? And maybe it's not really their thing, but if they if part of their I think platform, it could be their thing. If if part of their platform would be that to curate dark themed music videos yeah industrial rock gothic you know like how much would it cost death metal. it couldn't be that e- much even just a show like a like a shutter yeah, music like a, show would be like so cool headbangers ball. yeah exactly or should, there minutes. should be a shutter music separate subscription or something <laughs> I'd be down. you know or, i would totally subscribe yeah it's it's yeah, tough i mean because you, you kind of can have this already if you have youtube uh you can just put playlists on of music videos and let them roll and I do that yeah, sometimes. And in thing. fact, you can even also, uh, for guys like us at our age now, you can get original recordings from the television of MTV television shows, like 120 Minutes and Headbangers Ball that you can just watch. Uh, yeah, but right. you know what, though? I, I think that there was, some, there was a little bit of a magic lost. Like, it's super cool that you can do all this stuff yourself. But, like, I think there's something lost when you don't have a curator. Like, you know, like our friend Christopher is great and has been and has been spending this quarantine time uh, putting links to different bands up on Facebook, right? Yes. And, um, you know, he's got the time or, or has the will to sort of really search out underground, like, black metal bands and metal bands that, that I would probably not normally come across. And I appreciate that because it's cool because it's a trusted source and I know that they have sort of a bead on a certain genre of music and that if they put it up, it's at least worth a listen. Mm-hmm. I think that right now... When we're all stuck at home, or most of us are stuck at home, I think that there could be this sort of uh, rise of the 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 curators or the gatekeepers of cool content that that can help put a spotlight on some of these cool music videos and some of these cool like short films and short content things and things sure. of that. Nature. It's a, it's a good totally time agree. yeah uh, to get back into music, man. To get back into touch. Uh, I mean, because there's. You're gonna need it. <laughs> There's a lot of lot yeah. of stuff we're gonna be missing out on right now, and uh, getting back into music and uh, having in-house dance parties in your living room. Uh, that's that's gonna be going on. I saw that like a lot last night. Everybody was uh, broadcasting uh, friends of mine, like, "Hey, this is the the dance party we're attending, or this is the concert we're attending," and they were all these online uh, viewing parties, basically. Really? Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah, just, I mean, I I think next weekend we're going to see a lot more of that too. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. See what you can find. Speaking of, though, guys, uh, with with all that's going on right now, you know, things as crazy as they are. Real quick, I have to add on that before you segue. Have you guys ever been... To one of those, um, I, I, I wasn't know, I segueing. Like... Oh, that, this is natural conversation, <laughs> man. What are you talking yeah. about? There's not well, like a guys, schedule guys... or something. What? <laughs> no, not at all. Hold um, on. Have you guys ever been to one of those? <laughs> have you guys ever been to one of those like a silent dance parties? Yeah, that's a, yes. Yeah, 
You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Like, put, you put the headphones, put your headphones on. And this on. is, of course, not a segue. No, this no, no, is no, just this some random like... thing that Dave's making us talk about right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just springboard going off what we were talking about. Like, people's home dance parties, right? Like, people are doing these, like, they're, like, playing music and dancing at home by themselves, right? Or, like, maybe you, with their you're partner. You're just saying this because like, those people had that loud party next to you, and you're like, they should have had a silent party. No. <laughs> no. I'm saying you couldn't get cool. to sleep last night because of this party going on. <laughs> No, wouldn't it be cool, though, if, like, there was a DJ that played live and everyone put their headphones on and we could splice together some sort of, like, I don't know how to do it exactly, but, like, everyone record themselves dancing and it's someone, like, could splice it together and it can make it feel like we're virtually in a dance club, even if we're all in isolation right now? That'd be pretty cool. I feel like the technology it, it, it must it, be exists out there. for that. We could, listen, people people did a whole uh, cut-together um, recording of Imagine, covering Imagine. They can figure this out. Well, so yes, that thing so anyways, that I just, Matt, just as you thought were saying, of that I wanted Matt, to ask what were you, you talking about, about with uh, everything being as crazy? Well, as it is. we need a little context. We we need to know where we're at, yeah. and this being a a, a movie podcast, mostly, uh, what movie are we in? That's what I'm trying to ask you guys. Like, what what uh, what is the most similar right now to our situation? Where are we cinematically? What? Well, what do you think you're in? What movie are you in right now, Matt? Okay, I have a film from 1992 that I, when I was a kid, I watched it and I have never heard of it or seen it since. So please forgive me, guys, if you haven't heard of it. But uh, this film is called Until the End of the World. Have you ever seen this film? I have not, no. I mean, it's got it's got a hell of a cast. It's got like William Hurt and Sam Neill and Max von Sydow. And it was directed by the German filmmaker uh, Wim Wenders. It's... It's it's a fucking cool movie. It's like it's really good. Like the soundtrack. I mean, we're talking U two R E M, Talking Heads, uh, Nick Cave. Like all kinds of really cool stuff on the soundtrack. I mean, it's it's a really good movie, and like nobody knows about it, and I don't know why. I just happened to see it on like one of the uh, premium movie channels, like Encore or Stars or something, when I was a kid. But uh, in this film. The there's there's a satellite, a uh, nuclear powered. Oh, oh, by the way, it takes place in 1999. So you guys remember what things okay. were? See, I'm telling you, it all went downhill. Yeah, but from but there. no, but the, <laughs> but the movie was made in 1992. So it's 1992's thoughts about 1999. Nostra, you know, so Nostradamus. So it's yeah. a bit of a bit of a, a fictional futurist uh, kind of thing. Uh, but uh, basically, this a nuclear powered satellite at any moment will be crashing down to Earth. Uh, causing a nuclear explosion in some random city. It could kill millions of people. It could cripple the economy. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen when it lands. All we know is it's going to have a lot of consequences. Um, is, is, is it named the COVID-19? It's an Indian, they, they call it the Indian nuclear satellite. Uh, the Americans want to shoot the nuclear satellite out of the sky with one of our own nuclear bombs to uh, ensure that it doesn't, you know, no debris falls to earth or anything, but then there's those consequences of having a nuclear explosion in space. There's all kinds of stuff going on with this nuclear satellite. I mean, it could, there's traffic jams, there's people rushing to stores, there's chaos, panic. It's all the media is talking about, but that's not what the movie's about. The movie's about Claire who meets a a random stranger one day. And after helping some bank robbers with uh, getting away with robbing a bank, uh, he ends up stealing the money. So she's got to follow this random stranger all over Europe and all over the world trying to track him down. And uh, it develops a relationship with him. And he's got some stolen technology himself that can change the world. And there's like all kinds Mm. of really cool characters and, and jet setting and travel, which doesn't really apply to where we're at right now, the travel part. I will admit that. But... 
Wait, what part does apply to Barbara Atwood? What I'm saying is, well, the the end of the world scenario. <laughs> Did you rob the, a the bank? End of the world scenario. That's that's the point. Oh, I thought you robbed no, a bank. No, the, the bank robbing is is pretty funny too. But no, that, that's my point. Is like that. This film is about something that can completely change history, possibly in the world, but that's not the story, man. The story is the one with all the like the romance and the great soundtrack and the art and all the cool stuff going on, and that's why until okay. the end of the world describes where we're at right now. It's it's and and I also feel like they're into the world scenario of a a nuclear satellite just crashing randomly somewhere. It's a it feels about the same level of devastation as what we're kind of dealing with right now. And and my point and, and of course the right. you get to it happens about halfway through the film by the way, like the whole whatever's going to happen with that satellite it happens about halfway through the film and then the characters are just sort of like in that setting afterwards, you know? And that's and that's my point. That's what until the end of the world is like what we're in right now because like the real story is the one with all the romance and the art and the great soundtrack. Okay. All right. Justin, what about you? Do you, what, what movie are we in right now? Oh man. Everybody's comparing this to zombie films right now. I feel like it'd be, you know, ridiculous not to mention them. Um, uh, it feels like a combination between, um, the paranoia of day of the dead and, mm-hmm. and, uh, the, the 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 humor of Shaun of the Dead. I can see that as well. Did you see? Speaking of which, did you see that? Um, I did. Simon Pegg. Yeah, I did. So for those of you, have you seen the? I don't know. I'm I'm just right. sitting here. Well, okay. So so okay. Have you, you've seen Shaun of the of Dead? Of course, though, I've right? seen Shaun of the Dead. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you know, in Shaun of the Dead, there's the plan. We we get Liz. We you know we we go to Mom's. We kill Phil. Sorry, Phil. We you know uh, go, go to, to the Winchester. Winchester, drink a pint, and wait for this whole thing to blow over. Um, well, there's this uh, new thing with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost saying, you know, what the plan is. And the plan is, is, wait, we can't go to Mom's. We can't kill Phil. We'll just have to, you know, see if Phil can take care of himself. And we can't go to the Winchester. <laughs> but we can drink a pint and wait for this whole thing to blow over. <laughs> so it's a, little, it's, it's, a, it's a clever PSA by the guys sort of using that famous scene from Shaun of the Dead to add a little levity so to the yeah. scenario. So which, we're, we're Shaun of the really Dead good. and everyone has to stay at home. Yeah, Basically. I think so. Yeah. yeah, that's. I think that's the closest thing I can relate with it. And uh, but you know, also in Day of the Dead, you had everybody you know held up in an underground bunker with a virus going out there, and you know, infection spreading and and uh, anxiety high. You know, uh, I mean, you know, to, it's not as fun as Shaun of the Dead, but it's <laughs> it's a great probably movie. pretty fairly relevant though. Yeah, probably fairly relevant. I think of all of the Living Dead films, that one's the one that's the closest to the one that we're in right now. And you know, and there, the you've got the scientist Logan who's desperately trying to find a, right, uh, a, a solution, a cure. So I, I don't know how I feel about comparing what we're in right now to zombie apocalypses, but um, I, I, it is give it some time, get man. with the time. It's <laughs> I haven't seen a single I, zombie I said, yet. Give it time. Give it some time. <laughs> give it some time. Oh right, yeah. Yeah. There don't worry, a, we'll be there soon. There was a there was a guy on I don't know some someone from the clip of it. He was coming out of the the doctor's office after being uh, tested for COVID-19 uh-huh. and uh, just, you know, in times like this, the only thing you really can do sometimes is laugh at your scenario. So he leaves this doctor's office and then immediately as he exits the door, he begins uh, shambling along outside like a zombie mm-hmm. arms raised nice. and sort of knees buckled. And yeah. uh, it's pretty funny. I like that. I haven't seen that. That's funny. Make, you gotta laugh when things are bad. Um, yeah. So yeah, what my got, film, what's, what's your film? I was struggling to think about what this is. And mine is Last Days by Gus Van Sant. The uh, Kurt um, Cobain it, film, isn't it? 
Yeah, loose. Yeah, so not so subtly based on Kurt yeah. Cobain, um, where he basically spends three days just shuffling through his apartment, still in his PJs and his bathrobe, eating cereal, putting records on, just mumbling about and doing nothing of real consequence for days on end. Um, hopefully, my story does not end like that ends. That's pretty grim. But uh, that's what it feels like right now. It just feels like every day is just, you know, shuffling through the apartment, just a shut-in, enclosed, bored out of my mind. Yeah. Trying to figure out something to do during this time. So maybe Castaway also would be a good one. Castaway, yeah. Sophie could be my Wilson. <laughs> well, I wanted to say okay to you and move on because that's what you do to me every time I bring up something. No way! <laughs> oh. Yes, you do. Has anybody seen the movie All is Lost with Robert Redford? Don't the movie that one, though. Oh my god, guys, it's so good. Um, it has almost no dialogue in the entire movie. Is there a volleyball? Uh, it, well, no, but... Um... <laughs> But uh, yeah, he's he's lost at sea, not not Dave's, on an Dave's island, really but, obsessed but on with his this own volleyball boat. thing since he found out that Tom Hanks' wife's last name is Wilson. He thinks there's yeah. some co- yeah, Are you serious? he thinks there's some kind That's of connection. Yeah, it's Rita there, Wilson. Like oh my god! How great is that? <laughs> <laughs> he's connected the, the connected the dots, man. <laughs> Open your eyes. The volleyball's Wilson. The ladies' Wilson. Just look into Why it. is he the one trapped in Australia with COVID nineteen? Something's going on. I'm telling you, man. Hey, you know what a volleyball is? It's a shape. You know what else is a shape? A triangle. You know what uses the triangle? The Illuminati. Look into it, guys. Oh That's all God. I'm saying. Just look into it. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a detour. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, Justin, but like, have you guys heard it? I mean, we, if y'all have heard any good conspiracy theories about this right now, I'd love to hear them because I'm sure there's some fun ones going around. Uh, there's some... Um, I mean, I think the, the main thing that people are saying... Um, and we were talking about this earlier is that this is this is the government's way of culling, you know, the poor and the weak and the invalid with this virus for control reasons. That's or, or 5G created it. That was another thing I've seen. Five, what is 5G? Five, really? 5G. Oh, five, like, like, the, like the 5G like, like, band, like, yeah, like 5 gigahertz bandwidth uh, cause yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, think so because yeah, I've had like, 5 gigahertz router in my house for like two years now and it's pretty sweet. So yeah, I, I know. The, 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 the theory goes... Um, that uh, the the radio waves mess with your DNA, and because they've messed with your DNA, these viruses get created and they. Spread oh yeah, because there's never been viruses before Wi-Fi. Uh, the, the one the one that I'm I'm following that's my favorite right now is the tie-in to QAnon. Uh, so those who don't QAnon, you know the whole the the theory that uh, the conspiracy theory that like. Uh, the whole uh, Democratic Party, most of Hollywood, they're all this like crazy, satanic, cannibalistic child uh, pedophile ring. And Donald Trump, um, oh. you know, is working with JFK Jr. to get into and he, that's how he got in office so that he could take over. And we're pretty soon we're going to see like Barack Obama and like Hillary Clinton, all of them like walking down the street in handcuffs as Trump like finally cleans house and saves the children. And the way COVID-19 mm-hmm. factors into this. It all started when uh, Weinstein was convicted because, uh, you know, he must have done some kind of plea bargain. And he's, you know, Epstein, they hung him. But like Weinstein, he's selling everybody out. Right. So, like, what do we see? Tom Hanks suddenly like, oh, 
I can't go back to America, y'all. <laughs> I have COVID-19. But really, it's like, I can't oh go back God. to America because Trump's going to arrest me because I'm part of the child pedophile ring, man. So like me and my... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like all... And it all started... Oh, see, oh the COVID-19, the way it factors in is that it's not released by the government. It's released by all the uh, the people in this horrible, big, satanic, Illuminati cult. Now that Weinstein's naming them all so that Trump knows who to focus on, they release the virus to like put some like cover, Distract. yeah, while they get away. <laughs> I see. Okay. All right. It's a hell totally, of a story. Totally you got it. Go ahead. Wow. I'm gonna go ahead and put my tinfoil cap on now, just in case. <laughs> but um, I, I, you mentioned uh, earlier when you were talking about the Robert Redford film where he doesn't talk much. You did another film <laughs> with a famous actor who I did, doesn't talk recently. at all, who? and I don't think we should gloss over this. You have worked with Nicholas, the, the national treasure, pun intended, that is Nicholas Cage twice now. Twice now, yes. I did two movies with him. I did a movie called Joe, which was uh, an exceptionally good drama. It was directed a great by... movie about coffee. <laughs> um, really good movie directed by David Gordon Green. Uh, who, who directed the most recent Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. And he's actually directed uh, he's directed Halloween Kills and Halloween Kills Again, I think it's going to be Kills in Space. Kills in Space. Um, but, uh, oh, he's a really good guy. Nicolas Cage is delightful. Um, really kind, really down to earth, really enthusiastic, loves horror movies like you wouldn't believe, like more than maybe anybody. That's um, super cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, this movie that I just did with him called Willie's Wonderland uh, is a movie where he is a silent drifter who has been caught in a trap. Um, and he can't get out? And he can't get out. Because he loves you too much, baby. <laughs> um, where he's put into this kid's pizza play place called Willie's Wonderland with these uh, cannibalistic... Um, satanic animatronic kids robots on a rampage and uh, he's left to fend for himself but he's agreed um, when his tires were popped by this road trap and these people these this local mechanic picked him up and uh, offered that if he could um, clean up the place for the night um, at Willie's then he'd fix his car for free and uh, he agrees to do that um, silently though just with a handshake and a nod and uh, sticks to it the entire time, even though one by one these things are trying to kill him. He'll he'll fight one of them, and uh, uh, and then bag it up and continue to go clean and clean the place. So it's a slice of life movie, is what you're saying, Justin, basically. Justin. So when does this I, come out? I hate to tell you this, man. Oh. Uh, Nicholas Cage is also going to be arrested by Donald Trump. He's he's one of the Illuminati. He's one of them. Hey, oh, I hey, wouldn't believe that in hey, a heartbeat. All I can say is, <laughs> let's see him try. Yeah. Ain't no one taking the case. <laughs> no, dude. That guy stole the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. he he. That's why Donald Trump hates him, because he has <laughs> the uh, Declaration of Independence on his body at all times as uh, a failsafe. So I think Don, Donald Trump is fine. Donald Trump hates okay. independence. I, I think it, it reminds him because he's uh, – you know, he, he has to wear depends and he hears the word depend. <laughs> Y'all seen that oh, picture, yeah, right? Yeah, where he's playing tennis and the shorts are all no. like full of something. I mean, he's, yeah, <laughs> I think there's, I think, I, no, don't get me wrong. The president's got some booty, but I, I think there's something a little, some a little extra padding that makes me think there's some incontinent Dude, issues. Can we, do we, do we need to see a movie where Nick Cage 
fights the final boss and it's Donald Trump? I would love that. How cool would that be? Well, well I mean, does Donald well, Trump have like a third national a, treasure? Does, it's perfect. I mean, you gotta yeah. have to put Donald Trump in like a mech suit or something because the guy can barely like climb upstairs, you know, let alone fight He'd Nicholas like Cage. Fisk, What's that? Know? It wouldn't be it wouldn't be the real Donald Trump. They use stunt. Oh, I know, but I'm, I'm just saying, if you magic. want people to, you know, I understand <laughs> suspending disbelief, but if you try to convince people that Donald Trump can fight, uh, it's just going to be, um, you know, no one's going to buy that. It's like that. I mean, he's big, he's a big guy, but uh, he just yeah, he just looks a little like tired all the time, you know. Well, Matt, do you? Uh, we're rounding an hour now. We got some audience questions to actually, go to. Do you want to? Well, I, actually, before we do that, because. This whole Donald Trump fight scene that we're talking about, Donald Trump versus Nicholas Cage, man, it's got me in the mood for some action. Well, I like action. I mean, and I feel like there's like a pretty big thing that's been going on in our show lately. Would you be alluding to perhaps our greatest action hero finale? The final battle between uh, John Wick and Mad Max Fury Road? I mean, are the, are the results in? Like, the do we know? in are in. That is true. So um, without further ado... And I know that this will make some people probably in this apartment very angry, but 94 to 68, John Wick is crowned the greatest action film of all time. Of all time. Of all time, beating the likes of Terminator 2, Kill Bill, Enter the Dragon, Predator, Rumble in the Bronx. Die Hard. Die Hard. No, Die Hard didn't make it, actually. We didn't put that in the, in the bracket. You did? No, no. I don't think. Die- oh, wait. Was Die Hard in it? I don't remember Probably, now. <laughs> man. I don't know. He beat Bruce Lee. I mean, he beat everyone. He beat everyone. So John Wick, Keanu uh, Reeves is... Keanu Reeves, man. He's a force. He's he's the king of action. Like, he's the... It's it's a new era. Right. And, like, you know, kind of gaunt, white guy... He's, he's not really Keanu white. Keanu Reeves. He's, he's, he's kind of white. Keanu Reeves isn't white? I think he's, like, part Japanese, isn't he? I think I he is know, part man. Japanese. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's, like, a half or a quarter, but, yeah, he's, he's not totally white. He's pale. Pale stranger. Sure, he's a pale rider. Some would say <laughs> that's right. He's, I'm just saying, man. That's the down. new look of action. It's not. It's no longer like tough, muscly, brick-headed guys. You know, not that Keanu Reeves isn't muscly, but well, you know not only I mean, that. It's... But here's the great thing: is not he's not just a thin, kind of slight guy. He's a middle-aged guy. That's true. Like that's true. he's not even pretending to be like a young viral. You know, like he he's he's kind of. Past his prime, he's got just the slightest of dad bods showing through his suit, you know, like it's a little bit of gray in that beard, and he's still <laughs> kicking ass and taking names. Keanu Reeves, you are the grindhouse king of action. You win the Golden Pot Award. <laughs> That's right. Or I guess this film does. We weren't really yeah. doing like a best action star. But we could send it to him. We but... should create an award. You should 3D print an award. We should figure out what Keanu Reeves' address is, and we should mail this to him. Ooh, that sounds like work. Uh, we we'll see. What All else right. you got to do right now? You got time? <laughs> I probably will have enough time to do that. That's true. So this is... The, um, oh, go ahead. No, well, I just I just want to say that uh, thank you, everybody, for cooperating. We, we've been... The world's been wanting to know this for a long time. Who's the, What's the greatest action film? And now now the world knows. That's now right. It's settled. <laughs> the undisputed on. champion of action films. So I think we'll do attorney probably later. Not right now. We got time, though. Maybe in the fall we'll do another horror one. But what should the next one be, Justin? Yeah, what should the next tournament be? We've we've figured out the greatest horror film. We figured out the greatest action. The greatest horror film was The Shining. Okay. And yeah. the greatest action film was John, John, Wick. John Wick. 
John Wick. We just learned that. Can we go yes. sci-fi? Maybe. I think. You, I don't know. I mean, uh, if the Grindhouse has important. one, if you guys are doing. Like, if you guys are called Grindhouse podcast, then you're going to have to stick with Grindhouse films. You're going to have to go with sci-fi next. I think that's accurate. Yeah. I think mean, this is true. Yeah, if we have yeah. one per, pu- one real public service that we can offer, it's it's this. And I'd be it's, surprised if the Matrix doesn't win. Ooh, calling a shot I'd now. I'd be surprised if it does, sir. Okay, oh. I'm just saying because of your uh, <laughs> because of your love for Keanu. That's true. Well, that's I, th- I think that's Keanu as John Wick. That's an important detail, uh, though. Okay, okay. Yes. Well, you know what? There's uh, only one way to Matrix, figure this out. It's the Matrix. Is it? It's a little hurt by the other two. You know, there's yeah. too many bad Matrix oh, thoughts. Oh, just, to... just, just, just don't even pretend those exist. <laughs> that's retry. what I do every day <laughs> alright well th- this is the point in the show maybe, maybe somehow the fourth one that they're filming oh they're, that's right they're making a full can, can, maybe, maybe. They, already saw, they already resolved if, if Star Wars has told us anything it's when a story's been resolved let it lie do an yes. offshoot do a, do a story in the same universe if you must, if you must. but like sometimes a story has already been resolved it's okay Matrix. to move on Matrix reboot? No. No, just move on. Don't be the stage yeah. <laughs> don't be a stage ten clinger to a story that you liked thirty years ago. Move on. It's okay. There's other stories to be told. Like Nicolas Cage kicking Donald Trump's ass in National Treasure Four. <laughs> so the audience has spoken. We now know what our greatest action movie of all time is. And this is the point of the show where we like to hear more of the audiences voice where we throw some we get we field questions from our listeners and we do our very best to give some sort of coherent answer that is helpful in any manner whatsoever so that they they go about the rest of their lives feeling more informed and fulfilled so um this week we're getting questions a little unique so i want to take a moment to give a little bit of shine to the slasher app our questions this week come from some of the uh, the constituents of the Slasher app. The Slasher app is a new app that you can download. It's sort of like a Facebook for people who really love horror. It's like having a horror convention in the palm of your hand without even having to leave your house, which is important right now because the Texas Frightmares and the, the Monster Paloozas are all canceled. But Don't if, leave your house. But don't leave your house. But download the Slasher app because now you don't even have to leave your house ever. Forever, ever, you can be indoors. It supports indie horror, and it's a place that you can discover independent horror creators like authors, filmmakers, podcasters, musicians, artists, and more. Download the Slash app to make new friends, share posts, photos, find dates even. doesn't apply to any of us. And to see news uh, provided by Horror Fuel and Rude Moore. Do we, are we on the Slasher app? Do we have like a grindhouse? I have a, yeah, I, I have one that I post the show listing. Uh, I haven't created like a show one, but I guess I could a show specific sounds, one. Sounds like a thing. If there was a social media app for us to upload our show to, it sounds like that's the one. Oh, I definitely, I definitely up- upload when we post. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. It's great. The no, community... I mean uh, to have a a page or whatever. Oh, right. I, I right, don't. Right. Know, I haven't been on it. I, I just my first time well, hearing about it. But yeah. well, now you now you guys will be downloading it and joining as well. It's a cool community. It's true. It's super fun, people, and and it's not just. It's not just people who love horror, but it's like artists and it's other creators. And I think right now... Murderers. I don't think so. Monsters I, and demons. Maybe monsters and demons, but I don't think there's any murderers. <laughs> at least not that I've known yet. But, you know... If I'm going to be on a slasher app, I want to be friends with some slashers. <laughs> but maybe they like just slash prices. 
<laughs> like used car salesman. Yeah. Like, I slash all my prices. It's That'd su- be cool too. That'd it's be cool with that. super awesome. The people there are great, and they, they gave us some really awesome questions. So without further ado, here is our questions from the crypt. Questions from the crypt. Penny Lane asks, how do they do that one thing in pornos that makes you do that one thing? Matt, this seems like a perfect time for you to answer this one first. I think it's pina colada mix, isn't it? Did you hear the question? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's what they use. They use oh, pina colada pina... mix. Oh, they just kind of oh, I they I'm, put it in like a, I'm picking up what you're putting down, like a condiment bottle, and they just kind of squirt it from squirt off screen all over the place. Wait, yeah. for real? Yeah. What? No. Okay. <laughs> I I I don't know someone directly. I have seen a porno script before though, and it's pretty hilarious. So there's this running joke that we have in film. Uh, especially those of us who schedule films where writers will get lazy and they'll just write the battle ensues. And, and like, you know, it's up for everyone else. It's one line of dialogue, but it's probably like four days of shooting. Yeah. Right. And so uh, in pornos, most of the scripts are kind of written the same way. It's like, and then Helen walks in the room. She sees the pizza boy and the battle ensues. <laughs> so uh, to answer your question, Penny Lane, uh, movie magic and pina colada mix. That's what. That's, <laughs> that's how they do it. <laughs> well, we didn't hear Justin's. Oh yeah, what, so Justin, do you have any insight I'm on sure this? I'm sure he's got something to say. Yeah. VFX. The, no, I, I, it's coloring. I, I think I'm gonna have to look into this pina colada mix. I do think. some research. Okay. <laughs> we need the to do our due diligence from Penny Lane and uh, research this thoroughly <laughs> during our quarantine time. <laughs> the erotic tools of the bartender's cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> Kutamaro asks, when doing the special effects work in a movie, like the really bloody scenes, makeup, etc., are those ones done all in the same couple of days, even though they may be spread out through the movie so that the artist doing the work doesn't need to be retained for multiple days so they can save money, etc.? Ah. Justin? No, what uh, great filmmakers will do is they'll leave all the blood and sunny <laughs> in the in the place so that the uh, local children can find it and call the cops. That's exactly what yeah, when they sneak in to smoke the dope. <laughs> um, sometimes, but uh, yeah, to, to, I can answer that. Um, and the answer is yes, they usually do. Um, most of the time, those particularly bloody uh, shots uh, are done as as inserts or cutaways, and they're done as either a second unit or or um, a gore unit, if you will. We did that on the From Dusk Till Dawn TV series, and um, one of the things that the, that helps a lot too is um, they might even have like a famous. Uh, if there's like a name uh, behind the makeup effects house, like KNB, like we had on. Um, Dust Till Dawn, Greg Nicotero himself directed the gore unit. Greg Nicotero of... Um, of KNB. And Creepshow. And Creepshow. And Walking Dead? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you Le- go. Legendary makeup effects artist. Um, you know, but he's also a talented director in his own right, and he directed all of the, uh, basically every single kill scene in the From Dust Till Dawn TV series. Very cool. Yeah, I think in general, if you see something on screen that looks expensive... We do our best to group them together so that they can be shot out, as we like to say in the industry, um, shot all together so that we do minimize how many days you need them. It just depends. It also depends on locations. 
Come. There was a movie that uh, I worked on a couple of years ago called Hellfest that made it to theaters, and uh, it was a movie where how was that? I wanted to watch that. I thought it turned out pretty fun. Did it? Okay, yeah. I watched that movie that takes place in a Six Flags theme park converted into a um, a horror amusement park um, with a real killer on the loose, and everybody just thinks it's part of the show. Um, you know, pretty traditional setup, but like you oh, know, great setup though. Great setup and really fun visuals that I had a blast with. Um, and, but you know, the whole time that we were doing this with the exception of an occasional F bomb here and there, we were like, okay, we're on day 18 of 23. We haven't really filmed anything gory yet. Like what's going on? Like, are, you know, is this movie rated PG 13? And then on the last three days we did all the gore unit stuff and where we consolidated it all. And we were like, Oh my God, this movie is hard. R. you know, we were gouging syringes into people's eyes and, and oh, crushing heads with the, sledgehammers. And that was just because they were bored. That's not even in the movie. That was just lunch break. Um, yeah, totally. We totally consolidate expensive stuff like Danny Trejo and the movie yeah. that Justin and I met in. We shot, he's all through Beatdown, which you should not watch. It's awful. Horrible um, movie. But, uh, but, but we shot him in one night, one long, long night where he told me uh in 2009 about his plans on opening a sort of a planet hollywood-esque restaurant but danny trejo themed and many many years later we got trejo's tacos in los angeles nice so uh, eventually it came to pass mother suspiria asks i'd love to know where i can audition for films uh where, where can you audition Crickets. for films um well, i'm sure it would have to be online uh, for at least the next month or so or yeah. possibly Scientists are saying maybe until... <laughs> yeah, we don't know right now. Well, yeah. We don't know. Nobody if, knows anything. If the world was normal <laughs> right now and if yeah. the film industry was actually working, um, there are other resources that you can go to. You know, you, uh... Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think, okay, in a, in, in a non-quarantine world, I would say start to figure out who are the um, casting directors in your area and get to know them, get your stuff in front of them. Meet with them if you can. Make them remember you because they really ultimately are the ones, even more than the directors in a lot of ways, decide who gets cast in films. Yeah. You know, if you um, if you have a relationship with them, if you're dependable, if they like your work, if they believe. There's a famous story. Um, I can't remember the casting agent's name. I, I, forgive me because it just came to me right now. But there's a, a famous book called Audition. And it was written by a casting director. Who oh, did yes, uh, Takashi Miike. She carries the body around in a, in a, a bag. and uh, That was the movie. That's not the same thing. Great story. Yes. And that, so that basically, that's the you want to basically just avoid small Japanese women that carry a body around in a bag. That's very <laughs> racist. Um, no, so in, in this book, Audition, he, it's a famous casting director. He casts a bunch of plays and movies and what have you. And, and the whole the whole premise of the book is to, is to sort of prepare you as an actor to audition for roles and what you should expect, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's an antidote in the story where a young man came in to audition for this musical and he clearly hadn't read the flyer very well, so he didn't ha- he didn't know it was a musical, and so he asked if he could have like an hour to prepare, and they gave it to him, and so he left, and then he came back, and then he he proceeded to audition and do this musical number, and he was terrible at it, hmm. but for whatever reason, the casting director remembered the guy, and a couple years later, he was casting a film, and he thought that the young guy would be perfect for it, 
And that movie was The Graduate, and that young actor was Dustin Hoffman. Oh. So from that one terrible failed audition led, you know, his breakout role. So, so I feel it, like if, you, if, you, if you're going to tell a story like that, you got to do it in the Robert Evans. And, and that movie just happened to be The Graduate, and the young man's name, Dustin Hoffman. Like you, you can't just tell a story us, like that and not like not be all of us have those sexy producer. that sexy voice that just melts butter across everyone's internet, Matt. And that young with man got. with the sexy voice, Dave from the Grindhouse Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's also Penny Lane. That's also how pornos do that thing that makes you do that thing. Is that voice? That's also that really important. Thing. <laughs> The figure asks, how are soundtracks chosen for films? They're not chosen, they're found. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. it's, uh, it varies, right? I mean, I, I think just the, sometimes a director like a Tarantino may, or a, 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 an Edgar Wright may have the soundtrack um, in their head. James Gunn is another one. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times the editors bring a lot of that to the party right they definitely uh, have something to contribute like you know I, I did show you an early cut of willie's wonderland and the editor was using all this uh music and everything uh, as temp score and uh so nowadays there's enough temp score music out there and everything that you can use it's either you know like you know public domain or or you know or not um just to use it as a placeholder you know to show a concept just to capture a mood and uh, you can use that. I mean, I did that a lot with um, my earlier short films. I would use like you know temp placeholders, and I would you know cut uh, cut the movie to those, and then take it to a composer and see if they could do something that could match the vibe I was going for. Yeah. Do you remember um, when we were trying to find the end song for Blackout? How many failed attempts we had at that? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just it. You, uh, there was a there's an interview with Danny Elfman where he talks about how he hates temp music. As a composer, right? Because well, yeah, it's stepping dir- on their toes. When the directors, they get something in their head, and then you're right, like it sort of removes the creative process totally. from composers. Um, there's a there's a position in film called a music supervisor, whose sole job is to supervising and obtaining music for films. But um, money plays a part in it. I'm sure everyone wants the Stones in their in their in their movie, but they usually can't afford it. Um, you know, the, uh, some people, uh, director's vision, producer's visions. I mean, it varies. So it's, uh, it's as is with all decisions in films, it's usually very, pretty varied. And um, I guess whoever's voice is either the loudest or has the most money attached to it will determine what songs are, make the soundtrack of the movie. Screen Queen 721 asks, will the coronavirus have a negative impact on indie horror films being made? Well, uh, yeah. considering that, that they get made on planet Earth and every industry is having a negative impact from the coronavirus yeah probably yeah i think so i mean i think i think indie movies and indie horror in general are the ones that are probably the most well right now everybody's affected well everyone is not but, just indies but studio projects as well are those, shut down i think what scream queen 721 is alluding to is once all once this all blows over after we've all had a pint <laughs> at the winchester <laughs> um is it ever going to be the same again i well Here's the problem. The problem is like, like so the show that I was working on when this all went down was a Netflix show, and so I was very well. We were, we were both on it. But we're mm-hmm. Very fortunate that like they're a massive studio that can afford to pay us a couple weeks out and like probably come back whenever this all blows over. But like I have friends, like our friends over at Bad Idea that were in the middle of doing an indie, and you you never know. Like 
it's hard to say when you when everything shuts down like do you have the capital to come back up? Because going down and coming back up costs money. It's not just a, a pause in resources. Well, the thing about indie horror is that um, real indie horror is always birthed from usually a new source every time. Um, it's usually like you know done with private investors, and it's usually done with um, first-time directors and. And um, I don't think that that will die because that's something that can happen um, not in a bottle. That can happen anywhere, um, you know, and, and, and our technology exists in a way that, you know, uh, uh, low-budget filmmaking is, is, is easy to do. Um, I think that... I wouldn't say it's easy. Not easy. It is well, it's okay. achievable. It's, it's achievable, but to do it well is hard. Yes. Um, and... Uh, you know, right now, the only people that are going to survive um, this coronavirus hiatus that uh, Hollywood is on is, is the big dogs in Hollywood because they have the money to do it. Um, and so the middle range films right now are the ones that are going to be hurt the most, the ones that are, um, you know, being budgeted in the two to ten million dollar range. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are the movies that are going to be the most hurt by this. Uh, but the movies that had hundred million dollar budgets and everything like that, they're they're going to be okay. Now, now that being said, and I've said it a lot of times, if you're a regular listener of the show, maybe ad nauseum, is the best horror always springs forth from holding a mirror up to the real anxieties of society. And we live in a very anxious, ridden society right now. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever we do come to the other end of this, I think that they're like right now, people have time to think. People have time to marinate on ideas. People have time to work on things um, on their own. Matt, you're a big proponent of using technology and 3D, 3D printing, printing, 3D printing to be your own source of being your, your own studio. Um, I think right now there are ideas that are being thought out that are reflective of what everyone is feeling. And when we get to the other end of this, I'm really excited to see some of those ideas come into fruition. And I, yeah. I, I wonder if there's uh, some new technology that's going to be implemented in filmmaking. I wonder if we'll start thinking more short-term in, in terms of like, hey, we can't drag this process out. We've got to kind of get in and out, and you never know when the next breakout's going to be, so we've got to make sure we can... That's a good point. People are definitely sh- going to try to make films in shorter amounts of time. Which is going to be brutal for us, but, yeah. um, you know... I think at first, at first, I, yeah, a true. lot of changes are coming. A lot of changes, because what we're we're adapting right now in a big way all over America and the rest of the world. Managers, bosses who said I don't believe in working from home are having oh, to change 100%. that opinion, allow people to go work from home and do things. And we're we're learning all these cool internet tools we've been building, all these things we have. We're actually learning how to use them now. And like what they really can do, what we can, what we can really accomplish with all the like communication technology we've been developing, and uh, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting time moving forward. But yeah, we're gonna get this disease behind us, and we're gonna have a much broader insight on what we can actually do with the tools we have right now. Yeah, and, and interconnectedness too. Like I was um, totally one of our close friends of the show, uh, Jason Nedick. I, I there's a silly meme on Instagram where you had to draw you know it's a it's, you, there's a photo of a of a duck bill and eyes and and feet and you got to draw the duck right so he, I forced him to draw it and he drew it and then he created this like very silly backstory to it but it was actually a really cool backstory and so I'm really advocating for him to write this as a, a short story or a novel minus the duck part because 
just from having some time, like this creativity sprung forth. And um, I'm really interested to see, you know, like remember creepy pastas? Oh yeah, like, definitely. Yeah, I, I guess still around. Yeah, I could see that making a huge comeback where people start telling stories like campfire style, you know. And people have time to write stories again. Yeah, you know? and people, like yeah. one of the people that creepy we were just pasta. talking about earlier, you know, our own projects. Um, we were talking about you know Blackout, and well, Blackout is a short film prequel to a feature film that we've been trying to get off the ground for a long time, and right now because he's got the time to do it, Jason Matthews is writing a new draft of it. That's right. He expects to be done with it this week. The the big the biggest hindrance to a creative mind is the day job. Yeah. You know, it's it's filling your time, it's filling your hours with things that are not being creative. And, yeah, uh, Matt, I remember, that's why that's why we always give the advice to if you're going to have a day job, get one in in yeah, the industry you want to work in. Exactly, you know? exactly. It yeah. may not pay as much as you could be making, but eventually, exactly, it exactly. comes around. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, I guess geez. also, mm-hmm. Dave, looking forward to that duck project. That's not that my sounds, duck project. That's, that's, Jason that's exciting. <laughs> well, Jason, either way, Howard the Duck sequel. <laughs> Well, oh, out, that cats, needs to happen. Cats out of the bag. But um, <laughs> so I guess the answer to the question is: in the short term, yes, it's pretty detrimental to a lot of people right now. All of us that are freelancers, some of us are in, in not as fortunate as others, and it's going to be a struggle. But I, I, during this time, I have to always go back to something and paraphrasing what Henry Rollins said, which is: "This is not time for despair. This is punk rock time. This is what Joe Strummer prepared you for." So sure. When we come out of this, it's time to get punk. It's time to get innovative, yeah, and man. it's time to put out some really uh, cool dark stories. We're going to get world. super punk. I'm even going to start sta- skateboarding again. I bought a uh, skateboard. Yeah, gonna, yes, I, let's I'm do gonna, it. I'm going to get my first tattoos. <laughs> Justin's oh, going to get a mohawk. Oh damn! Yeah, I'm thinking about doing that too. Actually, nice. So there it is. Oh, hey guys, guys we're we're getting close to that time. But before we go, I, I just want to like, there's something that we talked we last week. We talked about series that, that you could watch while yeah. while you're at home, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And Dave, you recommended Tales from the Crypt. Yes. You said, you know, get back into it. And I, I brought up the concern that you can't get it anywhere. It's not on HBO Go. HBO you can get had the box at not... Walmart. Well, you can't go to Walmart now. Well, you can yeah. go to Walmart still. Well, you maybe, can. maybe you that's, can. I, that's the last well, place I'm going. All right. You guys are breaking my flow, and I'm not appreciating it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to keep on trying. You can't get it anywhere. Tales from the Crypt is, is sold out. It's like the toilet paper of 2020. Uh, oh, and, I uh, there. But, but I found a show okay. that gives me a little bit of that. Tales from the Crypt, the the TF TC feeling. I'm trying to do Tales from the Crypt TFTC. Oh, I don't think anyone's ever called that show TFTC ever. But but there's no Crypt Keeper, but there's a bus driver. It's a Netflix has a new one called Blood Ride. Blood Ride. Blood Ride. And it's like a. It has the feeling of Tales from the Crypt. Like I said, there's no. It's it's basically it's this big bus, and all these moody, gloomy looking people are riding on the bus. And every episode focuses on one of those passengers, and then we learn their their crazy tales from the crypt style story. Oh, that's cool. What that's happens at, cool. Yeah. At, at the end? Is there like one sort of a accumulating event? I haven't. Like, I, I haven't made it to the end of the season yet. It's in the first season. It's it's, it's it's not in English, it's I'll, but but it's Netflix, and they've done pretty good with the dubbing. You know, Netflix has some good dubs. Listen, if Parasite so, has taught us anything, it's read the damn one inch words at the bottom. Well, it's worth it. Yeah. Totally, totally. But but if you don't want to read the subtitles, uh, the the American dub actors are pretty good too. But um, yeah, it has actors. a. Re- I mean, I'm telling you, man, it really has that Tales from the Crypt vibe, you know, where it's like 
there's always like a like we we're talking about earlier like the psychological twist you always get that twist in every episode yeah, okay the only thing is that you're gonna miss is like if you if you did grow up on tales from the crypt uh no crypt the laughing crypt keeper uh you know making Don't jokes about what you just saw man and instead you get the moody bus driver who just sort of gives cold stares to the passengers and i think he's got some kind of skin disease you'll have to see it there's something All going right. on with his face well yeah hopefully but, season uh, two of, of blood ride brings in a crypt keeper-esque bus driver or maybe next year be on a plane dude they should do that in a plane next season two should be bl- a plane blood ride. flight blood flight <laughs> <laughs> yeah that might work uh but yeah check it out see what you think of blood ride uh I don't want to spoil any of the episodes. Like I said, they're all like psychological thrillers and they're lots of cool gore, lots of like exciting stuff. Uh, Episode having to do with like Viking sacrifices, Uh, episodes having to do with like the cunning of the corporate system, you know, all kinds. It it really has that Tales from the... It's like Scandinavian Tales from the Crypt. So it it sounds like like Tales from the Crypt meets like Black Mirror, but... The bus can't go the, below no, 80 miles an hour. No, it does, don't, they don't do the Black Mirror thing. Thank God. They don't no, go there. It's, right. It is full on like it's... Trust me, man. You'll see when you watch it. But uh, I guess this is a, re- a review of sorts. So I'm going to give it a three and a half tusks three for the first tusks. season okay. of Blood Ride. So, yeah, which is pretty good. We, we are bad. actually that's, pretty that's mean with our tusk ratings. Yeah, okay. it's a recommend for sure. Well, while you're stuck at home, check out Blood Ride. Uh, we have to thank Justin so much for braving the elements <laughs> to, to be part of our show this week um keep an eye out for violet the project that Justin will make happen at some point yes uh, and in the meantime uh check out some of his older work blackout uh zombies hazmat j uh it came from the dead came from the dead from lucid dementia lots of cool work out there and uh as always this is dave and matt from the grand house podcast wishing you guys to stay safe and creative, and put your art in the world. And until next time, adios. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Zomboobies Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.